everyone. Welcome to this special episode of Real Talk, Let's Talk. Today, we wanted to have a conversation with two special people at Mercer, Dr. Bokros and Dr. Booker. We want to unravel some of the events that are going on around us in the world right now. So let me go ahead and introduce Dr. Ainsley Booker. Dr. Ainsley Booker is the inaugural director for the Office of Diversity and Inclusion Initiatives. Her passion for STEM was highlighted in her 2019 TED Talk at the University of Georgia entitled Unhidden Figures, Uncovering Our Cultural Biases in STEM. Fun fact, she had a turtle in college and took it to class for extra credit in her biology of organisms lab. Well, that's amazing. (laughs) And I would also like to introduce our second guest, Dr. Bocros, who is the Director of Pre-Health Professions Advising, housed in the Office of Academic and Advising Services on the Macon Mercer campus. Um, She is a biologist by training and taught general biology, microbiology, virology, and scientific inquiry for Mercer students before becoming a full-time advisor in 2007. She has been married for almost 34 years to Dr. Hugdahl of the chemistry department and has two grown daughters. Dr. Bocros loves gardening and building things. Thank you so much for the both of you for being here with us and especially for taking time to start this conversation for people at Mercer about what's going on in the world right now. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both. Uh, Before we begin, though, uh, we always like to start off with a fun little intro to get to know some of our guests, a real talk fashion. So I want to ask both of you guys today, if you could have dinner with anyone, alive or dead, who would it be and why? And Dr. Bocros, if you would like to begin. <laughs> Sorry, I was listening to my cat who just came running in, meowing at me. Um, my apologies. I think I would have to say my parents, who are both in their 80s, my dad's going to be 90 next month, um, and my mom is 83, and I haven't seen them in over a year. Uh, so I would say that. But when I, when I think about that the first time, my my instinct uh, and my my tendency toward introversion makes me say, I don't want to have dinner with anybody. <laughs> I, I'd, rather, I'd rather watch a podcast. I mean, watch a, a TikTok or, or listen yeah. to a podcast. So I'm revealing my introversion. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's like so relatable. So I'm glad yeah, that you said that. Yeah, especially since quarantine started, I think I feel the same way. What about you, Dr. Booker? So for me, um, let me see. I was going to go down the similar vein uh, with relatives. And I think I've been so blessed and so thankful that I've been able to spend a little bit of time with small small group time with my family and friends through Zoom and things of that nature. So I'm an extreme extrovert, um, extreme so much so that I get that it gets me into trouble a little bit sometimes. <laughs> good trouble. <laughs> yeah, good trouble. Good trouble. Like John Lewis, good trouble. So <laughs> it will probably have to be um, just reflecting on where we are now with civil rights, human rights. And, bec- and because I also just finished a great movie um, called One Night in Miami, um, mm-hmm. I would love to sit down with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and discuss the state of American politics and the direction for um, Black people in America and to see what are their thoughts now in 2021. Wow. So you'd have them come to this time period and ask them about what they think. I, I really would like right to now. see what, you know, what are the thoughts, you know, do you know with King? You know, so many parts of his dream is being realized, realized, mm-hmm. or has been realized, and so many parts of it still not has not yet to come to fruition. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
disappointed, excited. What would be his advice now on the state of American government and politics? Mm -hmm. You know, what direction, you know, would he like to see um, the human rights movement go, you know, and what does that look like? And even with Malcolm X, you know, you know, what are his, what are, what are, what are his thoughts on like militarization and, mm-hmm. you know, American government and politics as well. And I think that One Night in Miami movie was was so poignant with so many different points of view from different people from like Jim Brown to Malcolm X to Muhammad Ali, also to Sam Cooke, you know what I mean? And what does that look like now with the Black Lives Matter movement after what we've seen with racism and voter suppression and, um, you know, all of these different things now that are still taking place alive and well in our country and, you know, even with the insurrection on January the 6th. So I think I would just love to hear their thoughts and their comments and just to see what advice they would have. I can't help but think they'd be disappointed in how little progress has been made. Because I think think it's one of those situations where you take two, three steps forward and then you take one giant leap back, if that makes sense. So, you know, I think there has been so much progress, but then again, something traumatic happens and then it goes back to the statement, you know, people were talking about, is this really America? And I and I feel like this is still America. If that makes sense? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Deep, ugliest truths that we still have yet to reconcile with and, you know, and and talk about, because like one of the things that came, came to mind for me is like, you know, during the pandemic, this was the best and worst time to be a diversity and inclusion officer, right? You know, talk about equity, talk about equality and justice. You know, mm-hmm. we're kind of, fighting those things not just using these words and you know these hashtags and catchphrases but we're having to deal with these issues in real time and real life because people literally are dying you know what I mean if that makes sense and then also the same token is it's kind of like we made so we got so many laws on the books you know we we, we, we've seen we're seeing the ability to mobilize and gather and turn historically stakes that would normally be red blue so you see like these giants that we have the first um, okay. President, you see these giant steps for first black and Jewish senators from Georgia. You see these giant steps forward, right? But then something happens, and it seems like you get like set back when these these leaps that we go back so much. Like the Proud Boys stepping up and and becoming so vocal. I think that's a mm-hmm. huge step backwards. But I think even like even in our country, violence and different far left or far right groups have always been in the shadows. But I think what makes it so much more fearful fearful now, get the word correct, is that they're on national TV being interviewed by large major cable networks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you know that. And- yeah, that yeah. and like all other social media platforms. Just, just like yeah. add on to that. Exactly. Media. That mm-hmm. and social media, which just expands yeah. their platform greatly and like allows them to like connect with so many more people. It's, yeah. It's scary. And I guess too, even going back with that, because again, you know, I don't, with, um, with like Ebony and Jet Magazine and some of the larger um, at the time and newspapers actually covering like the civil rights movement and the violence with dogs and people being beaten at lunch counters. You saw the death of Emmett Till in the open casket. That really right. gave a picture to the movement and what was happening in the segregated South, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think the same thing happening with the news and the lens of people being able, now able to record, you know, police brutality and, you know, and the things that are happening at these different events, like in Charlottesville, I think, you know, it's given like life life to, 
to the narrative. So it's no longer people just sharing stories and telling you this is what happened in the places I live. Like now everyone can see, you know, like George George's death on national TV at six o'clock. Yeah. You have no, but to be confronted with it because you just watched someone being basically, basically suffocated on national TV. So, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, these things are much needed in our society, but sometimes the technology also makes it difficult for people to even deny, you know, even when, you know, you make speeches and you make um, different remarks and things now, those things are now etched in history because now it's a part of the American dialogue. And I think sometimes we have to pull on those those instances and those platforms because this violence and this terror has always been here, but I think it's just been a little bit more closeted um, than it is now in 2021. So I think- yeah. right. Um, well, thank you both so much. And I think I agree with you, Dr. Brooker. I think that'd be a really productive conversation for all of us to have if we could have dinner with um, with them. So now to get into our talk, can you can you both start off by telling us a little bit more about the social justice book club that you guys have? Oh, um, I guess I'll start. Is that OK? Um, I well, you remember last summer, uh, I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement was full swing. And for me, the final straw was Ahmaud Arbery, because there, to some extent, and I apologize for this in advance, but to some extent, when people die in police custody, you can rationalize, well, they must be doing something wrong. They must have been doing something illegal. So my stupid brain <laughs> was, was not paying close enough attention to realize uh, that they they were not doing something that was worthy of being killed. Um, I mean, I was reading about it, but it didn't have the same impact as two dudes <laughs> just taking justice into their own hands and hunting down this poor innocent runner. Mm-hmm. I, I that was like the last. <clears throat> I don't want to say straw because I've always cared about this, but haven't been terribly vocal, right? And so. Um, it was it was a last focal point, <laughs> if you want to say that, right? A, a, a last lens that focused the problem for me. And mm-hmm. and I've been I talking like to other students on social media because I'm Facebook friends with a lot of students. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were so many of us that were just like really torn up inside about the whole thing, didn't really know what to do. And so... Um, it just occurred to me, hey, let's start reading these great books that we have access to. And it was me and Mary Rachel Bonner who <laughs> were talking about it in, in the office one day. And so I did it. And luckily, Ansley had, I had just met Ansley, sorry, Dr. Booker. I just met Dr. Booker. And um, she's such a powerhouse that I knew that she'd be a great um, ally to to boost that sounds odd because of the context of that word that's not what i mean um i knew she'd be a great collaborator to get this thing going and would lend me some um some expertise because you know, i'm just a biologist and a pre-health advisor right i i've always cared about these issues but don't have training i'm not a political scientist but you know, I just got to the point where I didn't care anymore, but I really needed a collaborator like Dr. Booker who knew what she was doing. And so we started it, what, June, May, something like yeah, that. Yeah. And the only thing I would add too is that I just found this to be the perfect 
kind of like stars were aligning and putting pulling pulling people together in the right place because I had been meeting with some of the librarians and at the Atlanta campus and in the Macon campus, and we were pulling together a list of digitized or either eBooks that people could read. And so when I heard about Dr. Brokos mm -hmm. and her idea of the book club, I thought this would be perfect, you know, junction for us to meet and to explore the ideas. Because again, we now have the eBooks in the library or we're able to check them out, you know, and have these very poignant conversations. Because what I was getting in my office at the time or prior to where, you know, we were trying to do the let's start the conversation series with the, the with the CAPS office, with the counseling um, and one office, which was great. But again, you know, that platform, we were doing it during the week and we were using that time to educate people on, you know, what is privilege, what is white supremacy, what is, you know, what is racism, what does it look like, what does it sound like, what are microaggressions, mm -hmm. implicit bias. You know, everybody was hearing all those buzzwords, right? And so people were looking for an outlet and an opportunity to discuss what things they had experienced, things they had seen. You know, they were suffering from two pandemics. We're dealing with racism. We're also dealing with um, also dealing with COVID-19. And so people just really wanted an outlet. And so I saw mm -hmm. this opportunity, or I saw this as an opportunity, a perfect marriage, for us to be able to have this outlet, to be able to have this conversation in a safe space, like a safe zone. And so people didn't feel as though, you know, they shared a particular idea or viewpoint. They were going to criticized or condemned, but it was a safe space for you to be able to actually kind of like let down your hair and let your guard down and feel as though you were amongst friends and people that shared sometimes similar beliefs and always not the same, but it was an opportunity for us to have constructive yeah. dialogue. You know, we weren't going to be, mm -hmm. like, be arguing at the kitchen table. No, I believe this. No, you believe that. You're wrong. You're right. But again, this is an opportunity for you to express your emotions because when we did our first Let's Start the Conversation series, mm -hmm people's emotions range from optimist, optimistic to fearful. You know, I'm afraid, like I had a student tell me they were afraid to go outside in South Georgia and go jogging because of Ahmad, because they lived in a similar neighborhood. You know, you had, you had people, um, professors saying, I'm afraid for my um, black son and daughter, you know, to be in the car, because what happens if they're being pulled over by the police? What does that look like? You know, people were having these conversations and you were seeing all of a sudden now commercials were like the top that black parents have to give their children, you know, and, and about how to, you know, um, going through different uh, moments in time with arrest and how do you, how do you engage and disengage and de-escalation of conflict. And you have people, the Black Lives Matter movement, you have protests, not only in Georgia, but you have protests all over the world in all 50 states that people were protesting mm -hmm. against violence and racism and, you know, and things of that nature. So again, people were looking for an outlet because again, People leaned a lot on politicians or leaders in their civic environment. And then also, like at a university, who do you lean on? You lean on your professors that engage in this kind of discourse and teach class on race and gender and politics. And so I thought this was a great opportunity to marriage all of that together. You have the professors come in and share their expertise. You have staff that want to um, share their knowledge and beliefs and their viewpoints. Mm -hmm. And then you also allow a healthy way for students to engage in the conversation and for us to often kind of hear from each other. So um, I was a very poignant time. I'm very grateful for it. And I think it set the foundation um, for some great courageous conversation and dialogue have on campus because now mm -hmm. even the College of Education, they are they did a whole entire conference on um, courageous conversations and um, how to engage in um, impactful dialogue about how racism, sexism, homophobia, all the other isms um, that are in our society impact education. So people have branched off 
not necessarily from our necessarily our book club, but again, you see how now these talking points and these conversations are coming becoming more popular and widespread because the need is still there, the hunger is still there. Mm-hmm. People just wanted to find a safe space and an opportunity um, and a time and point to do so. And we want to be part of change. Yeah, you want to be part of change. Yeah, you want to. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, I should I should go back and say that my own little book club was meant to be for pre-health students to be able to take perspective for their future parents, patients and um, and develop respect for all people. Um, Dr. Booker was already mm-hmm. working on her own project, clearly. And so it was just a marriage. Yeah, mm-hmm. that she was way ahead of me in some ways. So I just wanted to point that out. Give her the credit. Yeah. Yeah, but like you're saying about mm-hmm. courageous conversations, like that is basically everything that mm-hmm. our platform is trying to like stand for and empower people to have. Because whether it's about politics, whether it's about what's happening in the world, what you think about, you know, the laws that are governing our citizens today, mm-hmm. um, our democracy, and and, yeah. and even just individual things that you go through like for sexuality identity and all of those things it all comes together and you know builds a person's perspective so i think what you guys are doing with this book club is extremely powerful and to like follow up with what you just said um dr bokers you mentioned that you know i'm a biologist like what do i know about politics you know don't tell dr hansel i said that (laughs) (laughs) she's doing a whole lot in lots of areas and dr young likewise so. Yeah, but like, just like Dr. Hensel, so are you guys. And, and I'm curious to kind of find out how you, you know, coming out of your shell from like biology, and then, um, you know, Dr. Booker from like, um, I, I don't know if you were already into politics, like a long time before this, but can you guys like, tell me a little bit about how you got involved in politics um, to begin with, and how that kind of, you know, transformed to this really big powerhouse of, of, you know, sharing of opinions and starting these conversations so a couple of things happened so um now i'm gonna go down history lane here um one of the things that brought me <laughs> to politics and put politics back on my mind is allyship Right. I think a lot of times, like Dr. Boko said, if you want to inspire change, you want to move the needle forward, you need um, courageous conversations. You also need um, facts and data. You also have to understand how politics, you know, um, all those things are really marinating in American society or brewing in American society. And you have to be able to make sure that um, you're you're speaking truth, a truth, a truth and light to what is happening in our in our on our institutions in our communities. And so, for one thing that happened to me, um, mm-hmm. I was actually I think in the eleventh or twelfth grade, and I actually went to Georgia Southern for American Girl State. And if you haven't heard of that, that's through like the American Legion, and we talk about politics and civic engagement and civics and you know all those great things that you know you would think you would do at a conference or a camp at that age. And so. Um, that was my first taste of it. Um, I actually had one of my dad's friends. She's um, she's deceased now, but she was really big into making sure that people got the right to vote. So I was in the first class of like leadership Edenton, which is kind of like these leadership classes that they use for young adults to help them understand like civic engagement and political responsibility and what does that sound like? How you write a bill? You know, how do you pass legislation? What does it look like to go to a commissioner meeting? And it's kind of crazy because I I was doing it because, you know, one of my friends at the time, she's a county, but she's not a friend now, but she's obviously an adult. Um, 
we were colleagues now, but they, then, you know, she was, you know, a, a more like a mentor. Her name was Janie Reed and she's an accounting commissioner. And so she did that. And I was in high school. And then also at the time, a little bit after that, her husband ran for to be the first black mayor of Edenton, which was very um, unheard of, you know, having a black mayor at the time. And so, you know, she mobilized us and we make we worked in American Legion. We worked with um, um, the Women's Auxiliary of the American Legion. And so, you know, we did a lot of stuff in my home church. Um, to make sure we did MLK Day and got involved in helping people get the right to vote and maybe we should understand what absentee ballots were. And so, you know, I was doing this as a young child, but it's kind of like, okay, it's kind of like, this is what your parents are telling you to do. You should be involved in this stuff. You should run for president and do all these different things and YPD and these different organizations, FBLA. And so I really didn't have a, you know, I had a passion for, it was like a, it was, it's like a little flicker of flame, if that makes sense, as a youth, right? But and people were kind of nurturing it and stoking the fire. But for me, I was like, okay, this is great. You know, maybe I'll be in, I, I never thought about myself being in politics. You know, I was kind of really? always behind the scenes. You running for office. <laughs> I know, I never thought about running for office. I was more like grassroots efforts, you know, like passing out postcards. You know, we would drive people, you know, from, um, the nursing home or who didn't have an opportunity to get to the polls who we were doing that because we really believed yeah. in at the time man he's mayor again now mayor john reed um to be in a being elected to be the first mayor and so we did that in middle school high, uh, i mean excuse me high school um college i was involved with clubs you know civic organizations volunteers and things of that nature uh, i remember when barack obama was running for president kind of did some more smaller grassroots efforts but it really wasn't until i became or aware of my platform let me say um and we're working at Mercer. And I think, and I'm pretty sure Dr. Brokers is going to talk about this, being able to mobilize students, faculty, staff, I saw so much great influence when we did the March and Visual back in September. Like so many people wanted this platform. So many people wanted an opportunity to engage and to, you know, to, to listen, to hear their voices being heard. And so we did that. You know, I started going to county commissioner meetings. I started being involved in you know, other smaller um, subsets of government um, here in Macon. And so then I really saw how important mobilization was and efforts and grassroots efforts were. I know I worked with um, the People Advocacy Group to make sure that we had um, voting on Saturdays here. Um, I know we started doing stuff with Political Action Wednesdays now with Hannah and Dr. Bocos. And um, mm -hmm. so we'll talk about that. I know she'll talk about that shortly. But I actually saw that passion materialize. And then also with the alumni bear talks this year, I actually had um, two individuals on that worked for political um, parties. They um, talked heavily about how they were engaged in making sure human rights were passed, LGBTQ ordinances were passed here in Macon. Um, and just kind of with working with Georgia women, um, seeing some great work that the Lynx organization was were doing. I even worked, again, I'm behind the scenes again, um, when we did um, commentary and we had such a kind of like a, was like a heated debate here in Macon when it was time to elect like the sheriff and county commissioners and the mayor. Um, I didn't leverage any particular individual, but I did like hold the, the cheesy part of holding the signs. Maybe a lot of the political <laughs> rallies. I was the one like the timekeeper and stuff like that. Because I, I every little bit's <laughs> important. important. But I really <laughs> understood, you know, how important it was for people to understand who and what they were voting for. Because so many people have been in the dark for so long yeah. about what what is the electoral college? How does that work? And having to engage in conversations with my younger cousins, like, 
No, your voice, your vote does matter. Your voice does matter, even if you do an absentee ballot. So I kind of that fire kind of got rekindled and reignited, you know, even this year because I, I became much more passionate about it, you know, working with the People's Advocacy Group. Mm-hmm. And then also my sorority, you know, we did a lot. I did even did a radio PSA campaign for them. They asked me to um, lend my very awkward voice to that um, to make sure that people <laughs> knew about the different voting locations here in Macon. You know, these are the dates that you can early vote. You know, these are the dates in which you can go make sure you have your license. You know, if you see any sign of voter suppression. So, you know, I restoked that fire because, again, it was very important for me to make sure that those people that were voiceless, you know, that were suffering, you know, that were experiencing poverty, experiencing brutality, experiencing racism, sexism, homophobia, people that were experiencing discrimination based on their, based upon their ability and their age, that these are the people now that need to understand that these things are also on the ballot. Because when you vote for these people, you vote for people in politics, you vote for your senators, your congressmen, these are people that are going to vote to change your local, state, and federal nation. You know what I mean? And making mm-hmm. sure that students understand that. Because, again, we had a lot of people that didn't believe in voting. They're like, oh, it doesn't matter. People do what they want to do anyway. And I was so tired of hearing that. You know, So anything that I could do on the grassroots efforts, whether that was doing the radio PSA, whether that was doing standing out on Wednesdays when I could with Dr. Bocos and with Hannah, to do political action Wednesday, you know, to talk about healthcare policy, healthcare policy, to talk about getting stimulus checks. You know, if I could do those things on Wednesdays or throughout the week or pass out postcards, like I, re- I wrote postcards and put them in the mail to complete strangers to ask them to vote um, in this year's presidential election and then the runoff in January. Um, you know, I think those things were so near and dear to my heart because I really saw the change that I want to see in not only in my community, like my city in Macon, but in the state of Georgia and also in the nation. For the first time, I really felt like something I did matter, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, that's awesome. What's funny is that my approach is kind of the flip side to that. I was not interested in politics because I'm the privileged, you know, in the privileged group. And so I didn't feel... <sighs> compelled to get involved until I saw that it was just out of control, um, which it's stupid. Again, I apologize for not recognizing it sooner. Um, but I, I was influenced by other people taking political action. Uh, I think Linda Hensel was the one who told me about Georgia women in the first place. And so I was inspired to join that group and start writing letters. And then um, Dr. Cutway, <laughs> Dr. Bowman Cutway, volunteered to work at the poll. And it was like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> Let's do it. So I, I signed up to work at the poll on election day. So it's it's others inspiring me and then me turning around and trying to um, inspire others of the privileged group to, to, to open their eyes and take some action. And I know I'm late to this party uh, and I'm going to try and make up for it. By <laughs> getting more involved. Um, but that's, yeah, that was my take on getting involved. Yeah. So, like you both said, I think it's discussions and have these out talk about things, um, especially for us as a student body, because obviously our student body is so diverse. And Dr. Booker, like you saw at our middle ground event, um, we had a lot of differing opinions. But I have one question for both of you guys. How do you think that? us as a student body can open up these productive discussions with people and especially people who disagree with you? How can we have productive discussions and 
get each other involved into politics? That's a tough one. Yeah. Um, because there, because we are all so diverse and coming from different um, perspectives that um, you need to use different techniques with mm -hmm. different groups. All <laughs> right. Um, I, I hope to model good behavior. Uh, you know, it, and when I say good behavior, I mean pushing, pushing the importance of taking the other's perspective and learning all you can about different groups, you know, at least groups that are different than you and, um, and getting involved. And, you know, I didn't really talk about political action Wednesday, but is this a good time to kind of tell uh, listeners what that's about? Or should I wait? Sure. If well, you, want to. you know, back in September, uh, Dr. Booker and I worked on that equal justice march and rally and um, inspired again by another person, um, of course, Dr. <laughs> Booker, but something Dr. McMahon said when we were talking about that, that event, he said, yes, uh, how can we make this, this march and this mobilization last longer? How can we make, um, you know, that this motivation keep, keep rolling instead of just being a catharsis, we marched and now we feel better and we go home, right? <laughs> End of story. We didn't want yeah. that. And so, um, I, you know, I can't even remember whose idea, if it was Hannah Van, sorry, Hannah Nabi, Ms. Nabi over in the QEP office. Um, I I don't remember if it was me or her or Dr. Booker. <laughs> I honestly don't, but we came up with. Uh, you know, I, getting, came on, I came on later. I think it was you and Ms. Nabi who okay. came on later. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it was Hannah and I that, you know, we had this idea that, yeah, if, if I'm writing letters once a week with Georgia women, why can't students, right? And Hannah is a whiz with QR codes and all of that, right? And so, so she was a spark plug, you know, I, I might have had the idea, but she really showed me how to, um, how to get students to take action through these other means. And so we present a, a, an actionable item every Wednesday, mm -hmm. hence the name, right? And we push it out um, on Instagram, on, you know, on other social media, and on Canvas through the, you know, the pre-health professions Canvas course. Um, and we create a sandwich board and go stand in front of the uh, Connell cafeteria, Fresh Foods cafeteria, and in the lobby of Godsey Science Center. And there's a small group of students that help us decide which issue to do. And, you know, we, we invite students to sign up to take a shift with the the board because we get a lot of hits. We have a lot of action taken if we are there talking to them, much less mm -hmm. if nobody's standing there. But you know, as people get in the habit of using the QR code to download a proposed email and you know, and helping them figure out uh, who to voice their opinion to, because that's the thing. You're like, what do I do? What do I do? Mm -hmm. You just don't know. Uh, it's mm -hmm. helpful to have someone show you, well, you can write a, an email like this, but, you know, change it however you want. And it should go to these individuals, depending on uh, where you live and who your representatives and Congress people are. And so once you're in the habit, oh, my goodness, it becomes it becomes a habit. Really, I mean, you, you kind of look forward to it. And I think students were we're really getting into it in the fall and we're probably going to start that mm, this coming Wednesday or next Wednesday. Uh, we're going to 
kick up spring again. Okay, so the thing I was going to add to that um, was that a couple thing, a couple things that I think are would be very useful for students um, to get involved and have conversations. Um, I know a couple years back, they the Residence Hall Association did this program called Race in the Dark. And I've heard great things about it. And so basically what you do is you have a conversation where, you know, we're going to use the, the darkness to help protect the anonymity, right? But you present questions from people from other race or nationalities or ethnic groups that you always want to ask. And you kind of have this curated dialogue. And the hopes is that you come away from that dialogue with a more freeing experience and an understanding of people um, for di from diverse backgrounds and differences, right? If it goes, if it goes well. Now, if it doesn't go well, what you will do is you will basically embrace more stereotypes, reinforce your bias, um, push force and discrimination and prejudice acts, right? Because again, people are not being open-minded. And I think that's what you have to go into every situation was that with that, just because you think you're right, just because you think whatever you were told as a child or how you grew up, whether it was within a privileged community or not, you have to be able to have empathy and practice empathy and be able to listen and try to embrace someone else's mm -hmm. struggle, right? And you have to make sure that you come into it with a sense of compassion and try to make sure that you leave with a heart for understanding and awareness. Because most oftentimes people are not trying to blame another individual for the issues in their community. They want mm -hmm. you to listen and to understand this is the experience in which the things that are happening, the lack of health care, the lack of education, the policing, you know, the violence, the, you know, the terrorism that they're experiencing. And they want you to join hands with them to help amplify their voice, not to take on their struggle. Right. So I think if you come into that space with that and that you're not going to be called racist, homophobic. Now, if you say something that aligns itself with being having a racist idea or supremacist idea, then that's what people are going to say about your idea. But understand that if we, we want to make change, people have to have accountability. Sometimes you have to be called out. Sometimes you have to make sure that you're using data and you're using also facts to support your narrative, not just feelings and emotions, right? That's what I like to do. Mm -hmm. If you say this about this movement or you say this about this, what happened, I'm like, okay, no, these are the facts. And it's coming from a credible news source or it's coming from a credible credible research agency, you know, that does, has done complete studies on these things and these concepts and ideas. So that's one thing. I think another thing too, we used to do these things called think tanks. I held some last semester. So we did think tanks on gender inclusive housing. We talked about microaggressions on campus, racism on campus, um, homophobia on campus. So we were able to do some of those with students. And the way we do the think tank is we had a set of questions and each different table had the opportunity to sit at the table with whatever the particular prompt was and to share various viewpoints with, come, with looking for an opportunity to come to a middle ground, to come to a solution oriented base for that particular problem or prompt mm -hmm. they had. I know another opportunity that went very well were the, were the watch parties with the young Republicans and the debate parties with the young Republicans and the young Democrats. Again, two op opposing parties, but they were able to come together and to have these events and allow it to take place, you know, with constructive feedback and dialogue. I know Mercer Urge um, mm -hmm. con contacted me, which is a student group on campus, when they were having issues issues about accessibility and about accommodations on campus and the COVID-19 response. They came to me and we actually held a forum where the deans actually, the dean of students actually participated, associate dean participated um, in those conversations where student voices could be amplified. And I was using my office as a platform to amplify their voices, right? 
Um, so we did that with Mercer Urge to did a forum on social justice. So I think that was even before the March we did. So these things actually took place in August. Um, the well thing, one thing that else thing that one other thing that you mentioned was the middle ground opportunity that you all took on with Mobilize Mercer and Real Talk, which I thought was an excellent program. Um, and you allowed people they didn't want to speak up to have anonymity to post on the slide um, presentation. We did the scale. I love that by Jubilee because you can use so many different talking points and you allow the people to use their bodies mm -hmm. and their scales to kind of represent where they are with their feelings and their emotions, right? And then you kind of talk through it. And so the things that I've seen even with that on YouTube, I watched so many of those, were great dialogue and conversations. Because what I found is that you really dispel stereotypes and myths about individuals and you break down your biases about individuals when you talk to them collectively and openly, right? You hear their shared stories, your shared experiences. And what you find sometimes what I've seen is that when you share these opportunities, you actually listen with an open heart and open mind, you find out that you actually have more in common with people than you actually have differences, yeah. right? And then also like mm -hmm. Dr. Brokos was saying, like something like the book club, if you actually read up on like books by Kendi, you know, so you want to talk about race, you know, um, you know, all the, the 1619 project and you educate yourself, you go to these different classes that the College of Liberal Arts and Social Sciences are putting on each semester, and you educate yourself, you can come to that conversation with, with a better prepared dialogue or even argument, if that makes sense. So I think those opportunities were great. I know we're going to be doing something very similar conversation with Dr. Beverly Tatum on February the 15th. And of course, if you don't know who she is, she did um, Why the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria and other conversations about race. We're going to have that on February the 15th. The law school did a great program where they had um, Angela um, Rye come in and we talked about um, race and discourse and politics in America. And that was sponsored by the Black Law Student Association and the, um, the School of Law. So again, just having opportunities where people can come together um, share their ideas, share their thoughts, and then look for a collective solution or either provide opportunities for like the road to reconciliation. You know, I always think that sometimes when we leave and we don't look for solutions and opportunities to understand and amplify, I think that hurts me more as a diversity and inclusion person than if we came in and like really, just, I don't know, feeling like, why did I come? I didn't learn anything. I still stuck in my, I'm still stuck in my own ways and my own thoughts and my own political um, party and ideas and ideologies. So I always look for forums like that. Um, the alumni, that's really what led me to the alumni bear talk series as well. Cause again, at the end of each um, presentation by an alumni, we got the opportunity to engage in conversation and dialogue about a variety of different um, topics and things of that nature. So again, if students could put on more things, like with SGA, Merclusion are doing some more things for Black History Month. Quiet Works are doing some more things for Black History Month. And again, they do things all throughout the semester, not just for different um, months. But I think those are excellent opportunities for students to get involved and engage. And I know that in the classrooms, students are definitely having these conversations. Um, with the social justice classes that I know that they're participating in as well. So I was thinking like it would be nice if you guys left us with a couple of like actionable items that students or you know well, anybody really no matter their age. Can I can think of two. Uh, two. Uh, the first one is start um, start holding others accountable in a mm -hmm. in a nice friendly way. <laughs> right. 
you know, mm-hmm. don't laugh at racist jokes. Instead, say, you know, that's really not yeah. funny. It's rather hurtful, hurtful, right? I mean, so taking yeah. small actions like that to uh, support and serve as an ally. And then the second easy thing to get involved in politics, uh, in political <laughs> politics, I don't want you to run for office yet, right? Um, but, um, you know, just using the resources of, of Georgia women or, um, mm-hmm. Nancy, I think you're, you're, Dr. Broker, you're part of the links, uh, right? Um, actually, I'm or, not. Uh-uh. Okay. Um, um, but, you know, some of the groups, like, uh, what is the voters... Um, League of Women Voters. I mean, there are actionable items that they that they will help you with. And that's how we got mm-hmm. started with PAW. So, yeah, look forward to writing a letter to at least one or two Congress people or senators or or the mayor um, Okay, every week. Right. I mean, because that's an easy way. And then you can get more involved where mm-hmm. you're a little bit more out there, you know, not hiding behind an email. <laughs> so it's all good, right? Yeah, no, that's awesome advice. And and Dr. Booker, quickly, do you have like any two pieces of like actionable items that you want to Yeah, so um, I was just going to say, just extending on what I mentioned earlier about educating yourself. Um, I think that's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. You know, don't rely on someone else to educate you about these various topics, whether it's politics or anything around diversity, inclusion, equity, or justice, educate yourself, you know, um, just looking for different, you know, books to read. Um, if you want a complete list of resources, you can always look, reach out to my office. I always have a list of the um, social justice book club um, readings that we have for the rest of the semester. We also have a list on my diversity inclusion website of the books that are the eBooks in the library. So again, the best way to combat okay. these issues is to educate yourself. Um, you can also do it by yeah. taking some of the race and gender and courses on um, in the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences if you have any of those on your blocks that are free and up. And I would say also just join student organizations. And, um, you know, a lot of times there's an opportunity for you to join like NCNW, NAACP, Mobilize, Mercer, Quad Works, LEAD, MMP. I'm throwing a lot of acronyms at you, but again, a lot of opportunities um, are awaiting you um, if you engage in some of these student organizations. Um, and then again, once you're inside the student organization, um, ask them to collaborate with organizations that don't look like them, that don't sound like them, don't have the same mission and values. Because again, I think us just having this dialogue with um, a diverse group of peoples, we can actually move that change and be mm-hmm. the change we want to see. And don't forget the service mm-hmm. Saturdays, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm Thank you so much. Of course. Well, can I add one thing to that? Don't don't let fear mm-hmm. don't let fear stop you from doing any of these things. Um, fear of your uh, parents' opposite politics, or fear of what your best friend will think, or fear of you know. Don't let that stop you. Go learn, and then take action. Right. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think we both want to Um, thank you guys so much for joining us on our platform and having this open conversation with us. Oh, my goodness. Um, Thank you for inviting us. Absolutely. And hope listeners can their own outlet to have these open discussions and conversations. And and yeah, I hope I really hope that that will open up some opportunities for people. And thank you both again so much. Thank you guys so much. Um, This was an awesome conversation. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, for having that. Always a pleasure. Bye. Bye.